Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. I call this message the power of the unimagined. Because in that scripture that I read from Matthew 28, as we opened up this morning, uh, it just interests me. As a matter of fact, even in the, vi- the, the Anastasis uh, rap video, the whole idea was, was the disciples should have known, but they didn't know because they couldn't imagine someone resurrecting. And I, I almost feel like there's a little bit of that in the church, in the world. You know, I've noted this before, other places, other times. When I consider the reality of Easter and, and the resurrection of Jesus, which in turn ensures my resurrection, but watch this also, every one of your resurrections, one way or t'other. Uh, uh, I, I feel we like understate the genuine, genuineness, the concreteness, uh, uh, and in such a way that all of the risen in deeds don't even do its service. It's such an amazing, wonderful thing. But more than that, the, the church itself has sometimes set the bar so low in celebrating Easter and Holy Week and all of those things. Uh, so like such that almost like you hear sermons about spring is sprung and flowers and he makes all things new and all that's true and it's wonderful. Resurrection is so much deeper, so much bigger, so much more all-encompassing than that that I fear that in some circles, you know, like Easter has become a Teletubby holiday, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, uh, my, my daughter called... Which on Good Friday, she called my wife and said, you know, I just had the strangest thing happen because it was Good Friday. Here we were having our service from noon to one, which was quite moving because the crucifixion was being, uh, it was a, Mel Gibson's uh, uh, passion. And so in all of the, 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 the suffering and the, the, the graphic uh, depiction of Jesus uh, was on you know, on, on the video, and at the same time, we had the Franciscan uh, daily office. It's a Gregorian chant was being sung kind of subliminally in the background, and we were renewing our baptisms. And, you know, everyone who came forward was weeping, and uh, it's Good Friday. And then the really wonderful thing was we had so many kids come Good Friday evening for the Escape the Tomb uh, thing. I was just surprised at the turnout for both services because uh, something's going on this year. But my daughter called when this was going on, and she's in Nashville, and she said, you know, I saw somebody on the street. And, uh, and they were walking down the street, and they said, hi, hi, Kristen. And, and she said, and uh, this, is, this is a believer. You know, she knew it was her as a believer. And she said to, to Kristen, she said, happy Good Friday, you know. And, and Kristen said, there was something strange about it. Yeah, It's like... Good Friday was on a level of St. Patrick's Day. Are you there? I mean, but this is, this is the whole centrality of history that we're talking about here. Our, our friend uh, uh, from, of NC4, Rabbi Glenn Blank, wrote in an article a few years ago that I read, uh, he said this, he said, the resurrection of Yeshua, that's Jesus, Aramaic for Jesus, the resurrection of Yeshua was a revolution, he said. Eternity disrupted space and time, and the resurrection disrupted human psyches, human societies, human histories, human destinies. Yet as with all, as with all things of this world, 
the explosion of that reality subsided and entropy or kind of a lackadaisicalness settles in. See, the force of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus leaks. Are you there? The, 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 the importance of it leaks. We can't let that happen. All right? The absolute essential importance of the resurrection of Jesus becomes something that, that we can't just tip our hats to. We have to celebrate it. We have to believe it because it comprehends everything else that we believe as Christians. So we have a challenge, brothers and sisters, in imagining resurrection, but even imagining our own resurrections, both his and ours, because that's the truth of it. You know, uh, it's, Sigmund Freud said, no person can ever imagine their own death. You know, and, and you know, I thought about that. I read that years ago, and I thought a lot about that. I believe I can. I really can. I, I really do. I, I believe I can get there. I, I, th I think it's a supernatural thing, I think, but I can get there. And one of the reasons that's possible is I think I can imagine my own resurrection. That's pretty huge. Okay? So we have this challenge. Peter and the disciples had been told again and again and again that Jesus would die, and after three days he would rise. And yet Peter and the rest had to reconstruct what Jesus said after the fact in order to have faith in the fact that it happened. Are you there? That's kind of, I mean, it says that, that, that he met them in Galilee and he taught them things of the kingdom. This is Luke chapter 1. And he said, and they saw him in Galilee, but some doubted. Isn't that amazing? Huh? And so uh, I reckon that there's, this is another thing that really fascinates me. There is very little art in cinema depicting the moment of resurrection and I believe because it's, it's, it's beyond a natural imagination. You have to have a revelation of it, right? Uh, we have nothing, you know. See, we can do Christmas because people have babies. And, and so you can, you can get there, you know. And we can do crucifixion Good Friday because people die. And you can get there. We can do crucifixion because people suffer. We can get there. But there's only been one permanent resurrection for all time. And we get to join in on that. We get in on that for all time. So, my first point here in this, this message entitled The Power of the Unimagined is how you think about your life after death is the key to thinking about everything else. That's a quote from N.T. Wright. How you think, how I think, about uh, uh, life after death is the key to thinking about everything else. If you're an atheist then you're facing non-being. You're facing extermination, extinction. If you're an agnostic, you're facing the complete unknown, right? If you live in one of the Eastern faith systems, you're looking at the end of your very own identity. But we Christians are supposed to know our life after death, and even our life after life after death in a new heaven and a new earth. How do you do that? Well, there's only one way. The only way to know the power of his resurrection is to encounter the resurrected one. Huh? And, 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 and this year, after the world has faced all this death and, and chaos, in celebrating Easter, we're saying, at long last, the power of death is broken. Okay. Uh, as we emerge from the chaos this past year, things will appear... Irreparably, irreparably, 
irreparably changed. See, Ian messed me up with that rap. Okay. (laughs) Things will appear irreparably changed. So how do we go back to normalcy? I don't want to go back to normalcy. Huh? I believe God has bigger things in store than the normativeness that I entered into when this COVID happened. All right? Uh, You know, so here's what I want to do. I want to visit in the scriptures an Easter couple, and, and an Easter couple. And this is from the scriptures, and I believe they're a husband and wife. Uh, they're disillusioned. They're walking uh, from what is effectively, they're walking away from what is effectively their community of faith. Uh, they're startled, and, and they're beyond imagining the answer that Jesus has already given them. Now, I'm talking about the couple on the road to Emmaus. So I want you to turn with me to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And here, um, this is, I'm setting it up here, I'm teeing it up. Here we have a married couple, I believe, who, who were fatigued from a season of drama and a bit, little bit of a loss of hope. After the crucifixion events in Jerusalem, their hearts were kind of numb, and, and they saw their dream as kind of gone. Or at least, at least one of them watched their dreamer crucified. And it's, it's Easter. It's the first morning and, and they're on the road from Jerusalem to their home in Emmaus, which is about seven miles. They're walking. It's late in the day on the first Easter, and they're walking west into the sinking sun. And, and, and I want to pick up in Luke chapter 24. It's going to be kind of a reading, and we'll kind of unpack it as we go through it. And so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Okay, so Luke writes, behold, or check it out. He says, two of them, these disciples, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. This is Holy Week, the first Holy Week. And we, I want to say this. We often imagine that these are two male disciples, but there's nothing in the text to suggest that they're, to, to suggest that. All the suggestions in the New Testament are that this is Cleopas and his wife Mary, who was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. John 19.25 places her at the cross and names Cleopas' spouse. So this would be uh, Jesus' aunt, if it was, which is kind of interesting. So this disappointment, this isn't just a theological crisis, it's personal, it's family. And it's also a hint as to why they are singled out for this visitation of Jesus that's coming up. Verse 15. So while they're walking and discussing, and the word for discussing there means they're arguing, they're debating what just happened in Jerusalem, which also leads me to think that they were married. Anyway, <laughs> while they were arguing, okay, Jesus, and I like the way Luke, Luke says it, Jesus himself, himself approached and began traveling with them. Now, the two verbs here, as I said, suggested that they're disagreeing with each other. Verse 16, but their eyes were prevented, watch this, from recognizing Jesus. In other words, something supernaturally intentional happened such that they were unable to realize who he was. Are you there? All right. All right. Okay. Verse 17, and he said to them, well, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still. I mean, when he said that, they stopped in their tracks. We kind of miss that, don't we? And they looked very sad. That's what Luke says. And they looked sad. 
Okay, verse 18. One of them named Cleopas answered and said, said, said to Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And the irony here is that Jesus is the only one who actually does know what happened. You know? Right? Verse 19. So Jesus says to them, what things? He's setting them up. And, and they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. Verse 20. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we were hoping. Now that's interesting because it's in the past tense. They're losing hope. Anybody lost any hope this year? Huh? We were hoping, they said, we were hoping uh, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's, it's the third day since these things have happened. So their dream, or what was life previous to all this craziness, had not just disappeared, it had been crushed by the very faith system in which they put their hope. And the dream is, for them, dead and buried and the idea is, is that something that has been dead more than two days can't come back, yeah? This is irretrievable. But the truth is, it's not only retrievable, it's better than they could have ever imagined. How's that? All right. So, uh, verse 22, but also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. In verse 23, and did not find his body, they came and saying that he, they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Uh, and by the way, the word alive here doesn't mean soulishly alive or, or, or uh, kind of spiritually alive, it means biologically alive. That distinction can be made in Greek. Um, and in verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him... They did not see. See, an empty tomb without a living body does not a resurrection make. Yeah? Huh? All right. So verse 25, and he said to them, Oh, foolish men. I, I, I like this. But the word man means people. Uh, it's, not, it's a generic term. And so in verse 24, Jesus says, Jesus says, Oh, uh, verse 25, Jesus says, Oh, foolish people. Bad reasoning people, it literally means. Slow of heart, hesitant of heart. Clouded emotionally, it means. Oh, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. I, you know, the expectations of Jesus on us to believe what we hear and what we see in the scriptures are pretty high. <laughs> right? All right, verse 26. Was it not necessary for Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things? And, and to enter into his glory, verse 27. The be, and then beginning with Moses, in other words, beginning at the Torah, beginning with the law, it says, and with all the prophets in those se that seven-mile walk, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now, I want to I want to point out that they never go so far as to declare that they thought that Jesus was Messiah. They thought he was a prophet. And it's Jesus, who, who it's Jesus who declares that the one who was crucified was, in fact, the Messiah of Israel. Verse 28. And, and they approached the village where they were going, and Jesus, I like the way he's setting him up here. Has anybody ever been set up by God? 
Oh, man. Anyway, God can set you up like no one else can, yeah? All right. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going further. In verse, because it's important that he gets invited. And this also suggests that they had a household, which would mean they were a married couple, Cleopas, Cleopas and Mary. And, and they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and, and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. And, and verse 30, which suggests it was a household. Verse 30, and when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Sound familiar? Huh? He began giving it to them. Uh, by the way, this is a tremendous breach of hospitality in the Middle East. You, if, you, you know, if you were a guest at someone's home, uh, you, you did not break the bread. You did not bless unless you were asked or told or invited to do that. But watch this, verse 31. Then, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And as soon as they had that revelation, he vanished from their sight. It's amazing, isn't it? Vanished from their sight. And watch this. Watch how they react. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? while he was explaining the scriptures to us. Verse 33. And they got up that very hour. Now this is, there are no street lights in the first century between Emmaus and Jerusalem. It's a windy road in the Judean hill country. It's dark and it's dangerous because they're bandits. And they got up in that very hour and rushed back to Jerusalem. They walked hours. It would probably have been at least a three or four hour journey and found gathered together the eleven of those who were with them. This is the disciples, verse 34, saying to them, the Lord has really risen and appeared to Simon, in verse 35. And it's interesting. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them, but they take this to heart. They recognized him. The revelation of him came in the breaking of the bread. The reason I want to do a, a closing uh, communion uh, or Eucharist service this morning is as I was reading this and preparing the message uh, this week, I felt like God said, look, in order to understand the power of resurrection, you have to have an encounter with the resurrected one. And I would like us as a church to break bread together and take communion together in closing out this service. We're not going to do it right this moment, but the reason is I want our faith together to be open to a new revelation of the power of God that's greater than the revelation of the power of God that we were walking in before this whole thing happened. Are you there? I, I, be, I, I believe the Lord's speaking it. All right? So we're going to do that. Okay. So... <laughs> This morning really is about a revelation of Jesus. But in the revelation of Jesus, it's also about a revelation of what's next. Huh? How many are like saying, what's next? Huh? You know, I'm not talking about what's politically next. I'm not talking about what's, what's medically next. I'm not talking about what's sociologically next. I'm not talking about what all of the newspapers and media are talking about in terms of what's next. What are you going to do now, God? Seeing what's been done. huh? 
It's that kind of thing. And why, why I'm saying that is this, this is my point. In the history of redemption, the devil is never allowed to outperform God. Huh? Now, whatever, whatever happened over, yeah, whatever happened over this past uh, year, to, year and a half, and whatever yet is to happen, all the rest of it, I don't know. All I know is God wins, and the devil never outperforms God. You got to hear me on this. What if God has something in store for us that's beyond what we can imagine? Huh? You know, is it just we're going to imagine getting back to work? We're going to imagine taking off masks? We can imagine uh, political stuff? We can imagine medical stuff? All that stuff. I can't imagine what God's going to do, but I can imagine it's better than what I'm asking or thinking. Amen. Yeah. Man, I I was... well, I was in the shower when, when this came to me, and, <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and, and I like thinking, oh, man, this happened this year. Oh, man, this happened this year. Oh, man, what about this? What about that? And God says, do you think I'll let the enemy, enemy get away with that? Huh? You know, you think, what do you, who do you think I am, Grubleski? You know, <laughs> really, he didn't even call me grubby. I mean, he was angry with me, you know? And so, <laughs> so like, I'm saying, okay, Jesus, you know, it's, it's, it, there's something coming, brothers and sisters. Each time, biblically and historically, when it feels as if the enemy has been unleashed, God is faithful to move in such a way that his wisdom becomes revealed and the kingdom of God makes a giant leap forward. The path from crucifixion to resurrection to ascension to Pentecost is the truth of all that, yeah? And it works, well, it works throughout history as well. I don't care if it's the Roman Empire. I don't care if it's, if it's uh, Chinese communism. I don't care if it's disillusion with America or Canada or whatever. Wherever you are, God's going to do something bigger than what the devil has done. I mean, that's, I got to declare it, man. The Great Awakening, after the religious wars in Europe, the charismatic renewal after the whole cultural shift back in the 60s, the, 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 uh, uh, we could just go on and on. God moves, and he's not going to be outdone. It's that simple. Okay. So when we begin to experience the presence of God, uh, you know, what, what, what happens here, watch this now. It's never meant to be private. This principality that we've been working through. It's a, look, if you don't believe in principalities and powers, it's, it's, it's a very questionable year for you because that's what's been going on. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not denying the pandemic. I'm not, I'm my vaccines, some of you get upset about that. You know, I, I got, we got both back, vaccines, Trish and I, and we had no reaction. Well, she had a slight reaction. I had no reaction except I, I, I had a big... Big, she said, don't say this, big rash on my back that looked just like Ron, <laughs> Ron, what's his name? Bob, uh, Rob Ronkowski, yeah, that's right. Anyway, it was around the Super Bowl. Anyway, so like, <laughs> anyway, when we begin to experience the presence of God, it can't be privatized, but the enemy has been working overtime to isolate us. Huh? I mean, that's what all this is about. Isolate the church to isolate us. And look, I appreciate the leadership here and 
how we've tried to wade through this, you can't know how hard it's been. This is the hardest year I've had in 39 years of ministry. This has been the hardest year to lead because everybody thinks whatever you do is wrong. We could do anything. It would be wrong. You know, if you buy... Uh, uh, if you buy chunky peanut butter instead of, of, of smooth peanut butter, it's wrong. You know, it's like you can't, you just can't. everybody's fuse is this short. Are you there? <laughs> it's like nuts. And, and, and so it's all for the purpose of isolating. It's all for the purpose of insulting one another. It's all for the purpose of, of, of destroying relationships or at least tempering them t- to the extent that they're no longer valid or valuable. It's all to, this, to this, this need to try and destroy the church, not just in America. We're talking about across the face of the earth. Now, you know, before, there's a point here. I'm not going to allow my faith to be privatized in what God's going to be doing. There's going to be a requirement for coming together and gathering and declaration and the power of the Holy Ghost beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we can ask or think. Are you there? Because God ain't going to let that go. huh? And so that's another way of saying I love you all. Yeah? All right. So, so when we begin to experience the presence of God, it's never meant to be remain private, to be privatized. The minute they get it, the minute they get what God's doing, they run back to the community of faith. They go right back to Jerusalem. Isn't that fascinating? I'm going to ask, um, can you send down for the kids? Super, thank you. So, we can't miss, watch this, watch this, guys. We can't miss the sequence of the revelation of Jesus in this passage. It's so important. First, he reveals himself to the couple as a calming presence and a friend. I'm there. Huh? He's my friend. He's, his presence calms me. It, it, it's my bread and butter. He reveals himself. Then he reveals himself as Messiah in the scriptures throughout all of redemptive history. But the full revelation of him is, quote, end quote, withheld until... He breaks bread. The full revelation comes in the breaking of bread. <clears throat> I believe in faith that, that uh, as we break this bread this morning, and I know you have to get those cardboard terrible things back there, but that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, but listen, real bread's coming. All right. Uh, so, It's as if to underscore the importance that he vanishes from their sight after the breaking of bread. So, like, because he doesn't want to talk about anything more than this. Go back to Jerusalem, join the community of faith, gather together, break the bread, and you'll have a revelation of me like you never had. And that comes, doesn't it? It comes in Ascension. It comes in Pentecost. It comes in the spreading of the gospel. In a century, all the Roman Empire is going to be buzzing about the truth of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. All right. So the revelation of Jesus in his breaking of bread was the assurance that the community that the enemy wanted to fracture was in fact going to be not only restored, 
but turned into a church which should take the whole earth. How's that? Yeah? Okay. Uh, we're going to be going into... I'm waiting for the kids. The kids are starting to come up now. We're going to be going into, as a church, both here in Mukunji, we're going to be going into a, 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 a series... I don't even know. Well, we have time to do this. So, about three weeks ago, in service here in Bethlehem, it was amazing because uh, Bill Bill Holmes was back at um, at the um, sound booth, and as I walked in in the morning, he says, "This is a scripture from Second Chronicles chapter 20," uh, and and he said, uh, "I feel like we're, sp- we're supposed to read this today," and I said, "I." I looked at it, it was rather obscure. It said, look, take all the men of war and, and dress them in holy clothing, take them out to Tekoa, and God will sow confusion among your enemies as you praise. That's, that's a thumbnail sketch. And I thought, okay, well, all right, I've got to figure out you know, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in, in terms of the service. No sooner do I get into the service than, than Deb Baker comes up to me and says, this is a scripture I got this morning. It's the same scripture, and it's this obscure kind of scripture. You know, that, that I, you know, that's a big Bible, right? You know, and it's like these two verses about, and all the, the men of war were just singing, and by the word, the, the word there for man is generic, but it probably was men because women didn't go to war. But the point was, the whole thing was, as they sang, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness endures forever. And they sang it, and they sang it, and they sang it, Suddenly, God sowed confusion into all the enemies that were coming against them, and, and Jehoshaphat and Israel stood in the day of battle. So, okay, so I'm thinking of that, like, how does that fit in this service? And you know how you, you're trying to do air traffic control? And, 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 like, and then Bill Holmes comes up and says, I think we're supposed to read that. So I just, you know, I just said, ah, we'll just read it. What will it, what will it hurt? Then the kid's cartoon comes on, and it's that story. And I said, to, I said to these people, I said, did you have any idea? Did you commiserate with one another? Or did you know that that was going to be in the kid's cartoon? And they said, no, we had no idea. So I, I took it to prayer and talked it through. We're going to go through a season uh, uh, for the next month or so where we learn how to praise again. Now, I love worship, okay? But we do a lot of songs where it's like, hey, God, you're my melancholy baby, those kinds of songs. You know, and, and you know, Jesus is my boyfriend songs. You know, it's like, and they're good. You know, they're good. And they're wordy. But we're going to learn how to praise again. I don't even know how we're going to do this, but we're going to learn how to praise again. And, and, uh, and God's going to take that somewhere because as, he, as we praise... All right. As we praise, he's going to uh, defeat the enemy, which produces isolation, contention, uh, the blathering of opinions, and all those kinds of things. Because we're going to be so full of praising him that that we won't have time for any of that stuff. Yeah. Amen. God wins. Right, Sig. That's right. God wins. So. So as we learn, it's my firm belief that as we learn to praise, we learn to gather. So following the, 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 the praise thing series, we're going to do a series on the power of gathering. Because it's in, it's in the Bible, yeah? All right. So 
are we ready to break the bread? All right. On this day that he was risen, yeah? Are the kids up? Are all the kids up? Yeah. Yeah, they're all up. Okay, let's do this. All right. Lord Jesus, um, yeah, Tom, you could tickle the ivories there a little bit, or the plastic, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> Lord Jesus, ah, let's pray. Lord, how many times in the scriptures do your people, and how many times have every one of us said, I thought I knew you. Wow, but I didn't know you this way. Lord, your church across the world, your church across the country, your church right here in Lehigh Valley, NC4, we're all saying together, Lord, we're saying, we thought we knew you, but we want to know you a new way. We need a revelation of you as the resurrected one. We need you, Jesus. We need you walking with us. We need you befriending us. We need your messiahship, your Christhood. We need, Lord Jesus, to see you in a season of breaking of bread. We need to gather, God. We need to proclaim you. We need to praise you. We need to see what you're going to do to these enemies that strut across the earth as if you're powerless. Lord, we need you. And to that end, God, we're declaring our love for you and our love for one another. Lord, we ask that you come into this Eucharist, this Thanksgiving, and in the breaking of bread, we ask that we would realize your power over sin, your power over death, your power to build community, your power to make us whole, your power, God, to see a lost world that's craving for you and they don't even know it, we would be able to share that with them. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Because on the night that you were betrayed, Jesus, on the night when you had the least to expect of humankind, your own disciples ran from you. And we've run from you, God. Uh, on that night, Lord, you took bread in thanksgiving and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Ah. Lord, and taking the cup, you said, this cup is the cup of a new covenant. A new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of your sin. Not all the sins, every sin. Your sin. So that as we eat this bread and drink this cup together, God, we are proclaiming a new Passover. We're proclaiming a new season. We're proclaiming a new epic. We're proclaiming a rising up of praise among your people. We're proclaiming the coming of your spirit. We're proclaiming what's next in your purposes. Amen and amen. So Lord, we thank you you have your hosts. We thank you for your broken body, Jesus Christ. Lord, in, in drinking this, uh, this wine, grape juice, blood of the grape, 
we're telling you that we believe that there's nowhere in our lives where sin exists that this blood can't go. It just reaches everything. We repent, Lord, of ugly words, ugly attitudes. Oh, Lord, we repent of complaints. We, we, we repent of ever questioning your goodness, ever questioning the totality of your power, ever questioning your purposes, ever questioning your presence, ever questioning, God, your, what, where you want to take us. This communion, Lord, this, 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 this blood is not just our, our hope, it's our faith. And we take it in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Whosoever eats the flesh of the Son of Man and drinks his blood, even though he die or she die, yet shall they live. Lord, thank you for the power of your resurrection. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.